The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Greg. And uh, tonight we are going to look at the call to obedience. Obedience marks a true believer. Examples of disobedience and examples of obedience. And uh, we'll go through maybe some of the other stuff in the back. Does everybody have a book? Everybody's got a book? Good. So, lesson 12. Um, this is the uh, second to the last lesson. Next week will be the last lesson on God's will, Lord's, the Lord's will, Lord willing. And uh, I will, Lord willing, be leading that also. Um, so let's start with prayer. Father, we thank you and praise you for the wonderful week we've had so far. <clears throat> We're just grateful that we can come here tonight and gather together as believers um, without... Um, the problems that a lot of people have in other nations, other countries that don't allow freedom of religion. But we do see that eroding away quickly in our country. And I think it's imperative, very important, that we look at the truth of God's Word, especially when it deals with subjects such as obedience and your will and uh, that involves where we stand with you when, when our freedom is uh, um, fading fast in our nation. So just help us tonight to open our hearts to your truths and understand uh, the truth of obedience tonight and what it takes to be an obedient believer and how important it is in our lives. We um, just ask that you would lead me and guide me and help me tonight to remember all that I've studied in Jesus' name. Amen. So, <clears throat> our memory verse that I did not memorize, but I, I actually can, sometimes can remember it, sometimes I can't, so I'll just read it. By this we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments, the one who says... I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments as a liar, and the truth is not in him. So right off we see um, the cost of knowing God is uh, keeping his commandments is uh, imperative. When we say we know him, do we have proof that we know him by living a life that is obedient in keeping his commandments. So he starts off, John MacArthur starts off with the call to obedience. Um, in John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
So we're talking here about, first, about love, the love of a believer in Jesus Christ and in God. <clears throat> I think in the church we're quick to say that we do love the Lord. It's something that's easy to mimic or easy to say, but not so easy to live out. John MacArthur says that we are called, I believe, to love the Lord Jesus, to love him with a whole, with a whole soul, whole heart, whole mind, whole strength kind of love. And we would say we do. But I look at our society, I look at the church, and I don't see the same kind of devotion, the same kind of commitment, the same kind of abandonment to the priorities that are the divine priorities. I see us diffused into a myriad of options, giving equal weight to even greater or even greater weight to some of the passing things in favor of some of the eternal things. And I think that's um, quite obvious. Um, we don't have to look far to see that the church today is truly falling down in this area of commitment. So, John 14, 15 says, if, we, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Um, and this is something that goes back even to the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 10, 12 says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and to keep his commandments and, statu and statutes of the Lord which I am commanding you today for your good now does that if it's in the Old Testament is, are we required to do the same thing in the New Testament well I think we're even required to do so even more in the New Testament um, 1 Peter 1.8 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. John, a couple of verses down in John 14, verse 21, says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Verse 23, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. But then we see a contrast in verse 24. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. So it's obvious by God's word that if we say we love him, then we're following his commandments. So let me ask you a question, just uh, whoever wants to answer. When we talk about God's commandments, what are we talking about? What, what comes to your mind when you say we love him, we know we love him if we keep his commandments? Pardon me? Obedience or not? Yeah, we're either, we're either obedient 
or we're disobedient. <clears throat> this is what I think of. Because this is um, an area of my life that I'm dealing with uh, every day and I deal with it, have been dealing with this in my life for about a year, year and a half, because it's uh, just an area that's important to me and it's important to all of us, but it's an area that I struggle in. So the two commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So you can hang all the commandments on those two. So, and I always use a driving analogy because, <laughs> because we all drive cars every day and there's a lot of traffic in Charleston and a lot of things happen while we're driving that test you to see if you really love your neighbor because your neighbor is the guy in front of you and the guy behind you in a car, in the car behind you or in front of you. That is our neighbor. So when I uh, hit the brakes real hard because I'm following too close to the guy behind me, I, uh, you get that? <laughs> when I'm driving too close to the guy behind me? <laughs> He's actually tailgating me. When I hit the brakes, that's not showing love to my neighbor. So this is an area that I struggle with. And um, I'm uh, working on that, and the Lord's working on that with me in my life. Uh, it's an area that we all need to work on. Loving our Lord is a commandment that we shouldn't take lightly. Um, so how can you uh, identify a true Christian? Well, one way is because he keeps God's commandments. That's one way we can identify a true Christian. There's one, there's one thing about that, though. We don't know if they're actually keeping his commandments because they love him or because they're just being legalistic. But we know why we're keeping God's commandments. So it's a good test for us to check ourselves and see if we're keeping God's commandments. If we um, love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we're probably going to keep the rest of the commandments. It's going to be pretty hard to fail at the other commandments if we're really doing well at these two commandments. So this is an area in my life that I'm working, uh, I'm, I'm checking myself and praying about it. And when I do this, uh, get angry at somebody, uh, my neighbor, you know, whoever it may be, if it's a guy in front of me or behind me or my neighbor that lives next to me, then, uh, you know, I ask the Lord to show me that and then... Uh, I deal with it. So this is how we prove to ourselves that we have a true love for the Lord is by keeping his commandments. And it's not, it's not sentimentalism. It's not emotions. It's not goosebumps. 
that prove our love for Jesus. It's obedience. So it doesn't matter how we feel. You know, we may hear a song that just, you know, causes us to feel sentimental and get goosebumps and really feel like praising the Lord. But uh, that's well and fine. But until we really start keeping his commandments, that's when we can prove our real love for him. Um, so what is expected of those who bear, bear God's word, who hear God's word, I'm sorry. Anybody? That's the second question. To be doers of the word. What does a man, what does a person do when he is a hearer of the word but not a doer? What does God's word say that he does? When he walks away, he forgets immediately what he looked like. Yeah. So when we hear God's word, we come in here on Sundays and we hear God's word explained to us and you know, and we read when we read at home or study at home or we listen to a message, and we don't act on that. We're deceiving ourselves. We're just like the man that looks in the mirror and immediately when he walks away, forgets what he looks like. So immediately, if we don't put those words into action, we forget them. We will eventually forget them and we'll forget them fast. It doesn't take long. And when we forget them, then we can't do them. So it's imperative that we be doers of the word and not just hearers. Okay, and so our B, the call to follow Christ. What is required of a person who follows Jesus? Luke 9, 23. Self-denial. Luke 9:23 If anyone would come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This is something we don't hear much about when we hear the gospel. Um we don't talk much about denying ourselves anything in America. Especially when it comes to the gospel nowadays we just hear that it's uh, not giving, but getting. That's what the gospel pretty much represents today in America is get what you can get because God's there to give it to you. So we're called to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Christ. Totally against what I thought the gospel was about when I first got saved. In Matthew 10, 38, Jesus told his disciples, and whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. So I wrote down what John MacArthur says about that. Here's Jesus' first mention of the word cross to his disciples. To them, it would have evoked a picture of a violent, degrading death. He was demanding total commitment from them, even unto physical death. And making this call to full surrender a part of the message they were to proclaim to others. This same call to life or death devotion to Christ is repeated in 1624 
Mark 8:34, Luke 9:23, and Luke 14:27. So the call to follow Jesus is a call of self-denial, not self-fulfillment. That's God-centered theology, not man-centered theology that we see all around us here in, in America today. It's all man-centered theology. Health and wealth, name it and claim it, live your best life now, is not God-centered theology. That's man-centered theology. Any questions? Comments? Part, or, uh, question two under B. How did Jesus set the example for us when suffering for his obedience to God? He committed no sin nor was any deceit found in his mouth. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And remember, Jesus is our example. He is an example for us, for our suffering. And we're called to do the same. Okay, so Romans 8.17. I want to read a few verses that talk about suffering just to show you, just to remind us um, how often it's talked about in the New Testament. Romans 8.17, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 1 Peter 2.20-23, For what credit is it if when your sin when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So he is our example. And if we're called to suffer, which we may never be called to do that, then we should be ready to do that. We should know because of our love for our Lord Jesus Christ that we should be ready to do that. Now, I've never been called to suffer uh, any heavy persecution. I don't know what I would do if I was called to do that. I don't know if any of us really know what we would do, how we would react in that moment until it happened. I'd like to say that uh, I would definitely be glad to suffer for my, for my Savior, but I don't know that I can say that with all honesty.
Okay, C, the call to submission. And I'm just gonna keep going right through this. If um, you can just keep up in the book. Um, so the call to submission. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? So Romans 6, 16 tells us that we're slaves, we're God's slaves. And a slave doesn't own himself. He's owned by his master. So we know that because we're his slave, we have no personal ownership. What we have is his. If we're truly his children, then everything we have is his. And um, Romans 12, 1, how should we present ourselves to God? As a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, this is our spiritual act of worship. Um, First Peter 2, 4, and 5, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What kind of sacrifices of praise can we offer God? Anybody have any thoughts on that? How can we offer sacrifices to the Lord? What, what categories like praise, prayer, time, ministry, praise, prayer, giving, serving. But here he's talking about a different issue. He's talking about offering ourselves as a sacrifice. That's a tall order. So as we think about denying ourselves Picking up our cross daily. Um, Self-denial. Picking up our cross. Knowing that we, he is our example for suffering. When we talk about offering ourselves as, as a living and holy sacrifice... What does that look like? It's different than giving, serving, praising. Well, we've already talked about it. it. You may be called to give yourself as a living sacrifice. It could look like that. It could look like you yourself may have to be given as a living sacrifice. You know, when uh, in the Old Testament, 
when they offered a sacrifice, it was a dead sacrifice because they killed it. But when we offer ourselves a sacrifice, we're living, we're a living sacrifice. Because we can, we can offer ourselves as a sacrifice here while we're on this earth, while we're serving the Lord. But um, the Jew, when he offered a sacrifice, that sacrifice was immediately killed. But what was the condition of that Jew's heart supposed to be? supposed to be the same as ours his heart was supposed to be a loving heart towards God it's the same as us it's it's always been the same there's no difference the difference is they offered a dead sacrifice we have Jesus Christ as our sacrifice and he is the last sacrifice so, but, but the heart condition is the same. And uh, so the Jew in the Old Testament, when he offered a sacrifice, if he didn't have love in his heart for the Lord, and that was his reason for offering the sacrifice, to keep the commandment because he loved, he loved God, uh, then he was just doing it for works. It was just a work. And, and we can fall into that same category if we're not careful. In Samuel 15:22, Samuel said, "Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams." But being obedient to give yourselves as a living sacrifice is obeying. And so that's what God wants us to do. He doesn't want us to give something uh, in place of obedience, which would be a sacrifice if it wasn't what he commanded us to do. And sometimes we do that. I, I've, a good analogy of that is um, when you're kids, you tell your kids to do something, and um, they do something else instead of what you told them. And you tell them to clean their room up and they go and do something else that you might appreciate them doing. Well, what they did was a sacrifice because they weren't obedient to you to obey what you told them to do. And that's what Saul did. <clears throat> Saul offered a sacrifice when he wasn't supposed to, he, he offered a sacrifice instead of being obedient. Okay, so our second part, obedience marks a true believer. <coughs> this is our memory verse. So if we look at ver at First uh, John 2, 3 through 4, what does obeying the word of God demonstrate? Pardon me? Yes, that we have come to know him. Exactly. So obeying God's word not only demonstrates that we love him, if we're doing it with the right heart attitude, it also proves and shows that we know him. 
And this is a, a great test for ourselves. This is a great, this is a good way we can, we can um, look at our own behavior and know that we're truly saved. Um, and that's an important thing to do. 2 Corinthians 3.5 says, Test yourselves or examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. 2 Peter 1.10, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. So let me just ask you, you don't have to answer, but is this something you do in your life? Do you examine yourself? Do you, do you examine yourself to see and make sure that you're truly that you're truly saved, that you're truly converted? Is this something that you practice in your walk with the Lord? It's very important, very important that we do this because it's easy for us to deceive ourselves because sin is always lurking there somewhere in our humanness to cause us to deceive ourselves. And uh, I think it's very important that we make sure that we're being obedient to God's commands. And why are we being obedient to God's commands? Because we love him. Not because we just want to be moral and look like Christians. We don't want to be pseudo-Christians, somebody that's acting out something that they're not really living. They don't really believe. So there are three ways that you can test yourselves really well. The first way is faith. So a person, usually when a person is truly converted, he knows or she knows maybe not that point in time when they believed. It might, may have been a, a, a slow process, but they know in their hearts that they have faith in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, and they know that they trust him to save them. They know that the salvation he purchased for us is real and that they are part of God's family. They know that by faith because they have faith in him and they have faith that his word is true and what he says in his word is true. And so they trust him for their salvation. That's what we do. Um, but you know, that can, that can, uh, sometimes kind of wane and it's kind of hard sometimes you feel like your faith is weak and sometimes you're not so sure another way we can know that we're saved is the holy spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of god we have the holy spirit within us that bears witness but another way that we can tell by our behavior is if we keep his commandments. If we keep his commandments, we know him. So if I'm loving God 
with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And there's no, I don't believe there's a man or woman in this world that could do that without the Holy Spirit, without God's help. We just can't do it. Not on our own. If we're loving him as much as we can, as much as the studying and the praying and the uh, involvement will allow us that we have the commu communion and and praise and prayer that that we have with with our Lord. Um, and we're keeping His commandments. Then we know that we know Him. But what does continuous disobedience to the Word of God indicate? That we don't know him and the truth is not in us. We're liars. So it's important. It's important that we obey God's commands from the heart. So what characterizes the true believer as one who will enter the kingdom of heaven? Doing the will of the Father. So here we just keep repeating it. We're keeping his commandments. We're, we're studying his word and being doers of his word. We're denying ourselves. We're picking up our crosses. We're offering ourselves as holy and living sacrifices, and we're doing the will of the Father. All of these things are the will of our Father. And it's imperative that we do it from the heart. First John 2, 5 says, But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. So let's look at some examples of disobedience. Any questions, comments? Everybody okay? That's a good point. I hadn't brought that up. Yeah. Um, yeah, I fail every day. 
I failed I don't know how many times today while I was driving because the guy in front of me was going too slow or the guy behind me was too close and I constantly remind myself to just be patient and let people drive the way they drive and uh, you know that's what I would want them to do for me just be patient let me drive the way I drive I'm, I'm you know I'm just trying to get to work you know but but when they you know it's just a thing about when other people get around you you know you expect them to do what you want them to do and and that's not loving your neighbor as yourself so yeah we fail but we um, are made aware of our failures if we're true Christians and we repent of that and we try again to do the right thing because we desire to please our Lord that's why we want to do it <clears throat> okay so uh, part three examples of disobedience um, Josh do you have your Bible would you mind reading uh, 1 Samuel 15 16 through 23 so this is an example of Saul offering a sacrifice instead of being obedient. And this is something that we don't want to fall into. It's easy to do. 16 through 23, chapter 15. Okay, so we see Saul takes it on himself to offer sacrifices instead of being obedient and waiting on Samuel. And, um, the Lord, and Samuel says the Lord tells him that it's better to obey than to sacrifice. So obedience is what God calls for. That's, that's, that's what he calls for. And uh, stubbornness and rebellion when we're stubborn or rebellious towards our Lord, rebellion is as the sin of divination and insubordination is, is as iniquity and idolatry. So Saul is rejected as king because of his sin, because of his 
desire to do things his way and offer a sacrifice instead of obeying the Lord. And there's a second um, uh, a second part to that, but I'm gonna I'm gonna read something here. Not only now what happened to Saul, the reason why the Lord wanted him to destroy the Amalekites completely was because he didn't want them influencing his people. So the Amalekites make an, make an apt illustration of the sin that remains in the believer's life. That sin, already utterly defeated, must be dealt with ruthlessly and hacked to pieces, or it will revive and continue to plunder and pillage our hearts and sap our spiritual strength. We cannot be merciful to Agog, or he will turn and try to devour us in fact, the remaining sin in us is often becomes more fiercely determined after it has been overthrown by the gospel. So you can actually use that as an analogy for our own sin in our own lives. And when we disobey God and don't follow his commandments, this is what happens. Just like it did to, to Saul and the Israelites because he didn't utterly destroy the Amalekites. And it can happen to us when we don't utterly destroy sin in our own lives and truly serve the Lord and, and follow his commandments. The same thing can happen to us. Colossians 3.5 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So an example of obedience. Number four, examples of obedience. Um, so Abraham's obedience. What were two of Abraham's great acts of obedience? Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's that's exactly right. So, huh? <laughs> yeah, he was. And uh, yeah, so this is a great example for us of obedience. Um, let me read Genesis twelve one through four. Now the Lord said to Abram. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So does anybody know the background of Abraham? 
and his life before he was called. Nobody? Josh, you do. You're just not going to tell. You're just not going to tell us. Yeah, so let me read a little bit about Abraham. And uh, this will maybe tie this all together and, and, and we'll be done. Okay, so Abraham was born and raised in Ur of the Chaldees, which is in modern Iraq. And it's near uh, Nashariah, I think is how you pronounce it, in the southern, southeastern part of the country. Joshua 24.2 says that Abraham and his father worshipped idols. We can make some educated guesses about their religion by looking at history and religious artifacts from that period. Ur of the Chaldees was an ancient city that flourished until about 300 BC. The great ziggurat of Ur was built by Ur-Nammu around 2100 BC and was dedicated to Nana, the moon god. The moon was worshipped as the power that controlled the heavens and the life cycle on earth. To the Chaldees, the, the phases of the moon represented the natural cycle of birth, growth, decay, and death, and also set the measurement of their yearly calendar. Among the pantheon of Mesopotamia gods, Nana was supreme because he was the source of fertility for crops, herds, and families, prayers and offerings were offered to the moon to invoke its blessings. When God called Abraham, then called Abram, in Genesis 12:1, he told Abraham to leave his country, his kindred, and his father's house. Everything familiar to him was to be left behind, and that included his religion. We do not know what Abraham knew about the true God at that point, but it was likely that he had received some instruction from his father as each generation passed down their history to the next. As a worshiper of other gods, Abraham must have been surprised to receive a direct revelation from Yahweh. The moon god and other deities were distinguished objects of worship, and they did not personally interact with men. Abraham obeyed God's call, and when he arrived in the land of Canaan, he built an altar to Yahweh of, at Shechem. The text indicates that God's appearance to Abraham was a deciding factor to his choosing to worship him. Hebrews 11.8 says that Abraham's departure from Ur was an example of faith in action. Okay, so they were idol worshipers. Abraham was not a righteous man. God didn't call Abraham because he was a righteous man. And Abraham may have known something about God. We don't know. Because that they did pass their beliefs down to every generation, but they didn't worship the one true God. So, the point is, Abraham, a man who doesn't even know God, is called and given a commandment. And by faith, he obeyed that commandment. So, by faith, obeying that commandment with the right heart attitude puts Abraham in the same place we are. He's a godly man. He believes in God. He has faith in him. He follows his commandments. He follows his commandments and does what he says and has never known him before. 
This is great faith. And all through the Old Testament, and even through the New Testament, Abraham is used as an example of faith to the Jews, and they still didn't get it. They still didn't get it. They still turned it into works. So um, this is the second call to Abraham to go to a land. Um, his, his faith was unwavering. He didn't even know where he was going. He had no idea where God was sending him. He never got to be part of the land. He never got a foot's length of the land. He, he moved around in the land in a tent and never owned it. His seed owned it, but he didn't. But he still had great faith and, and, and pleased God with his faith and his obedience. He believed the Lord and, and, and he counted it to him as righteousness. I want to read um, real quick Stephen's account of Abraham. Did you know there was an account of Abraham in Acts? Because Stephen's telling the Jews what he believes, what they should be believing by telling them about Abraham. So Stephen says when he's before he's stoned, he says the high priest said, this is, this is Acts 7, and the high priest said, and these things, are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred. Go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldees and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. So they're there in the land, living there in the land that Abraham never got to to have he moved around in it in a tent and they still don't get it so we see that Abraham is a great example of faith in God's word Romans 4:20 says no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. And the same goes for us. Now there's a lot of examples in here at the end, areas of obedience. But I'm going to, um, I think I'm going to stop there. And uh, just, if you all have any questions... Anything you want to add to it or anything you want to say, now's the time. Do you find yourself working at 
and when I say working, I don't mean as works. I mean, it, it's something that we have to will to do to keep God's commandments and to follow his word and, and be obedient to his word and be doers of his word. Do you find yourself doing that throughout the day? I know we get so distracted. We're so busy. We have so many things going on in a day. It's, it's hard to carve out a few minutes in the day to just reflect on what God's called us to do and what his word says. But it's something that something that we we should all practice. for an hour somebody else nothing no questions no comments yeah I know which message which messages of his is not good <laughs> yeah I know it is good it's real good yeah John MacArthur is uh, you know he studies about seven hours a day did y'all know that? Seven hours a day. But he'll tell you if you want to be if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, this is how you do it. That's how you do it. You 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 know God's word. And that gives the Holy Spirit what the Holy Spirit uses to fill you and, and make your life full. Yeah. You're talking about salvation? Yeah, I'm having a hard time hearing you with that mask on. I have, I have, uh, I'm hard of hearing anyway, so when the mask, it's just worse. But yeah, I mean, that's why, that's why I examine myself constantly because it's so easy to fall into the myriad of things there is to do in this country. You know, everything that we do is a choice and there are so many choices in this country and we can choose ourselves right out of doing the things that we should be doing it's just the easiest thing to do you know um, I think it was last year we went to Ethiopia some of us from here from the church went for a week and um, there was something Something I, I uh, learned from that trip was that those people over there don't have any choices to make. They have like four, four choices to make. Um, where they're going to live, 
you know, how, how they're going to, you know, they got to have a hut. You know, how are they going to get a hut? Um, who are they going to marry? How are they going to eat? You know, they got to choose. Are they going to try to find a job or are they going to try to grow corn? That's basically all they can do. And uh, I forgot the fourth one, but <laughs> they got like three or four choices, pretty much. I mean, and, you know, I got about ten choices to make before I leave here tonight. <laughs> so, you know, and we can bring that into, into our spiritual realm and choose ourselves right out of doing the right thing and obeying God's commands and, and really fostering a love for him in our lives. So I examine myself constantly to make sure that I'm in the faith because it's so easy to deceive yourself. There's a lot of people that say they believe, they, they have faith, they said some prayer, they walked some aisle, you know, and that is easy believism. It's more, there's more to it than that. There's denying yourself, there's picking up the cross, there's, you know, more to it. Okay, so I'll uh, close with prayer. Father, we thank you for uh, this study. We know that um, when we study your word that there's so many good things in there. And uh, If we would just be diligent to put our minds to it and uh, truly uh, be willing to take the time and, and really study your word and, and read and pray and, and seek you, then uh, we would move forward with you and uh, our love would grow and our obedience to your commands would uh, become easier and easier for us as we grow in you. And uh, so we just ask that you'd give us the strength to do that and the wherewithal to uh, spend that time with you like we should. And we're thankful for everybody that's here tonight, and we pray their safety as they go home. Watch over us this week, what's left of it, Lord, and bring us back here. Sunday, we pray, Lord willing, in Jesus' name, amen.